Good morning. My name is Jay. Welcome to Cultivate. We are going through a series called Rethink. We are traveling through the book of Mark. We're following Jesus really on his path, uh, really towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. We're trying to figure out what is it that Jesus' life is all about and what does his life have to do with my life? Because the more I behold Jesus, the more I know and understand why he was here, what he came for, what he was doing, what he was about. The more I understand as a follower of Jesus what it means to live my life in light of his. And that's really the question that we're answering throughout this series. And we've really taken or are taking 15 weeks to unpack that because it is such a huge, huge thing for us. And I hope that it's been a benefit for you as we've been going through this. Uh, we are going to catch up with Mark in chapter 12, starting in verse 28. We're going to be looking at one of the greatest commandments. He, Jesus has asked, what is it that is most important? How do I know that I'm on the right track? How do I know that my life is making sense? How do I know that I'm living up in this thing called life? Where am I going? What am I doing? Jesus answers all that stuff in one succinct answer. We're going to be looking at that today. And I want to start out by uh, kind of asking this question. How many of you have ever watched uh, the World Series of Poker? Yes? Come on, guys. You've been flipping through the channels. You've seen it on TV. Yes? Um, bunch of people, they sit around a table and they televise the fact that these people are sitting around a table. Why in the world would anyone want to watch something like this? It's like watching paint dry, right? I mean, it's just people sitting around a table with cards and chips. There's no action going on. There's no, there's no ball involved, as far as I'm aware, right? Um, no sport. Nobody gets up and punches the other guy unless it's going really bad for them. And, and it always shocks me because it, they air it on ESPN. So I always think... Why in the, it's the sports network, why are they showing the World Series of Poker? If you don't know anything about it, um, the, the kind of poker that they play um, is called Texas Hold'em, right? And it, it's, it's all stakes, right? You, you build up enough money and you, there's no limit on the amount of bets that you can put in. You can raise the stakes as high as you want and force somebody into a game or force them out and then take their pot. Uh, what makes... Texas Hold'em, World Series of Poker, so fascinating is the fact that there is a no-holds-barred, I'm-going-all-in type attitude, right? Because you can watch Texas Hold'em, you can watch this World Series of Poker, and it is boring beyond boring, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Somebody gets a big pile of money, and they look at their cards, and you see what they've got in their cards, and you go, oh, man, what's going to happen next? He's going all in. And he takes that big, huge stack of coins and he starts pushing it towards the center of the table. And what you know what's happening when he's doing that is that he is saying, either my hand is far better than yours and I know it, or I'm going to bluff you out of your hand and make you back away from the table. Correct? You get this moment that it's like, you kind of get chills if you're really into it because be you, you know that for that person, and maybe even for the game, they are going to win or lose on that one hand, right? That's what makes it so fascinating. Other than, if you didn't have that, it wouldn't be on television. Because they don't show other kinds of, of card games on television, right? You don't see anybody playing bridge on TV. <laughs> yes? Maybe on Lifetime. I don't know. I just... 
I don't watch that channel. <laughs> but that's what makes it so fascinating, is that he goes all in. Yes? He is either going to win a whole boatload of money, or he is going to walk away from the table with nothing. And once he goes all in, there is no backing out, right? There's no like, oh, I meant to take a chip back, just, just in case. That's not all in, right? You are all in when you push that stack towards the center of the table. And everybody knows it. It creates a different atmosphere that happens in the, the middle of the game. Uh, the reason this is so fascinating to us, I think, is because as people, our natural tendency is to hedge our bets. We're not often the kind of people that go all in on anything, right? In fact, we're taught that if you're wise, you don't go all in on everything. Because if you do, and things don't turn out the way that you want them to, then game over, right? Game over. And so we even teach our children something along this. We have anecdotes that talk about this. What what are some of the anecdotes that that we use to say, don't don't do that. Don't be so extreme. Don't push all your money towards the center of the table. What what do we use? Yeah, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The, the, The mentality is because eggs are fragile, right? They may, in fact, break. And if you put all of your eggs in one basket and that basket drops, you're left with nothing, right? And so you're meant to diversify, hedge your bets, spread, diversify, get your your money into multiple different places. Because if one thing goes down, then you're still left afloat. But if everything goes in one basket, then you lost your shirt, right? And uh, we carry this thinking into a lot of arenas in life. And one of the unfortunate ones, to be very honest with you, is marriage. Because we talk about marriage as if it's just one of those other things that we should diversify our devotion towards, correct? And, and as a society, we create all kinds of things which help us to do that. And so we say, well, you're going to get involved in, in a marriage, and it's going to mean you're going to have to devote money towards it. And so you should you know, sign a prenuptial agreement. Because if things go bad and all your eggs are in that basket, then all your money goes with it. You don't want that to happen, right? And so even many of us in society, we go into marriage with this dual mindset that if this goes bad, I need to have some other out so that if things don't work out, if we can't agree, if, if money goes down the tubes, then at least I've got a safety raft to get me out. I have a backup plan. We carry this thinking into a lot of different arenas. We carry it into our relationship with God, which is actually what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Because Jesus comes up to a situation where people are asking the question, how do I know what's important? And Jesus, being the radical that he is, gives a, a response that looks very much like a poker game where the guy pushes all those chips to the center of the table. The context of the story that we're going to be looking at is this. Jesus is now, we've fast-forwarded a few chapters. We were in chapter 10 before, now we're in 12. Jesus has, at this point, already entered the gates of Jerusalem. He has arrived at the place where he was heading to his entire ministry. He is in Jerusalem. And so everything that we're looking at from this point forward, all the way to Easter Sunday, 
happens within a one-week period of time from the time that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem to the time that he is crucified and rises again. He is heading towards the cross, and he knows it. He is heading towards his ultimate demise, and he's aware of it. Let me ask, if you knew that you had one week left to live, what kinds of things would you be doing with your life? (laughs) I'd be at a poker tournament going all in, right? I don't need it. Might as well shove it towards the middle of the table. What kinds of things would you be doing? Yeah, you'd be spending time with the people that matter the most. You wouldn't be having conversations that were like a drain on you. You wouldn't be going over your grocery list over and over again thinking, maybe I need three gallons of milk instead of two. You wouldn't be doing any of that. You would be doing, saying, speaking, thinking about the things that are far most important in your life. Those things would bubble to the surface above everything else, right? So this is the mindset that Jesus is in. He is bucket list time. That's where he is. He is thinking, what are the things that I need to do, the conversations that I need to have? And it's, what's interesting is this, is because he is having this mindset, right, in Jerusalem, last week of his life, heading towards the cross, and the passage that we're looking at today starts out this way. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. What was going on? Jesus, if you look at the, the passage before this one, he is having one of those conversations with people that you just don't want to have. Somebody comes to you and starts asking you questions, and you know in your mind they're just meaningless. Why in the world are we talking about this? Why are we spending time, wasting time, talking about all this stuff? There's a group of people who were called the Sadducees who came to Jesus with a question about resurrection. And they're trying to trap him in something. They're trying to say to him, hey, Jesus, you believe in resurrection, right? You've been talking about being raised from the dead and all this stuff. What happens if a woman has a husband, her husband dies, she gets married again, 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 her husband dies, she gets married again. Seven different times. (laughs) Think of how unlikely this scenario is, right? Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, either this woman doesn't exist or she's in jail by this point, right? But she, they come to him with this question, and they're, and they're pressing him. Jesus, so what happens when everybody gets to the, to the next life and everyone's resurrected? Who's, whose wife is she? And Jesus, his response is this. You don't even understand the Bible or the power of God. You don't even believe in the things that you're coming to me asking about. Why are you wasting my time with this? Why are you wasting my time? See how Jesus' mindset is affecting the way he's thinking and reacting? He's saying, look, you don't even believe in this stuff, and you're coming to me with these questions. Go and think about the power of God in your life. Go read your Bible again, then come to me, and we'll have a real conversation. This is the context for what's going on when Jesus, when we enter the the passage at this point. And so uh, another teacher of the law comes to him and the conversation shifts a little bit. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments, he may not have wanted to ask the same question, I, I wouldn't. 
So he asked a different question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. And he recites from the Jewish Torah something called the Shema. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He takes, so the context, there is some like 613 laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. This guy comes to Jesus and he says, of these 613, Jesus, can you please just narrow it down for me? Like, I'm a little confused reading through my Bible. I want to know what is the most important. And Jesus responds to him and gives him two passages. He gives him Deuteronomy 6.4 and he gives him Leviticus uh, 19.18. He said, these two things are more important than all the other ones. Listen to the contrast here. Jesus has just dealt with all these people that are asking really bad questions just to try and trip them up. And then one guy comes in and says, Jesus, I want to know what's most important. And in contrast to all the other ones, he's saying, look, those guys are missing the point. Jesus, I want to know, how do I not miss the point? How do I live my life in such a way that I don't miss it? Do you ever feel that way? That you're kind of living your life, you're moving along, things are fine and dandy, things are, they look great from the outside, but you get to a point in your life and you're thinking to myself, am I doing it right? Am I missing the point? Am I asking the right questions? Am I following the right way? This is the kind of conversation that Jesus wants to have in his last week of life. And I would encourage you, this is the kind of conversation that he encourages us to have. What is most important? And Jesus gives a response. And surprisingly, his response is not, well, you know the commandments. Go and live a better life. You know what to do. You're a teacher of the law. You teach other people what to do. You've read it. Go and do it. He doesn't do that at all. What does he do? He says, in terms of your relationship with God, here's what you need to do. You need to go all in. You need to go all in. You need to not hedge your bets. You need to not plan your backup plan or how things are going to work out if things don't work out. You need to push all your chips towards the center of the table, your strength, your mind, your soul, everything that's within you. Push it all towards the center of the table and say, I am all in. That's what Jesus tells him to do. And your devotion to God, I want you to be all in. Another way to say this would would be to say this. You were created to love God. That's why God created you. It, It was to love God. And it's in loving him that you actually find out who you are as a person. The more you learn to love and to worship the one you were created for, the more your life will fall into place. That's what Jesus is saying. So whatever you do, anything that you do, whether it's work or play or sleeping or eating, talking, do it all for him. That's his response. So let me ask you, being honest with yourself, 
Are you willing to say to God, whatever you want to do with my life, Lord, do it. Wherever you want me to go, take me there. Whatever salary you want me to have, God, let me earn that. Whoever you want me to impact, let me impact them. Wherever you want me to go, let me go. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give it. If I've held anything back from you that's yours, I give it. I have no backup plan. I'm all in. All my chips are on the table, God. It's a tough question, isn't it? You can read it one way and go, oh, yeah, it just means that I need to live up to to what I think is the right way and the best way to go, but it's not saying that. Search your heart. Search your mind. Search all your strength, everything that you've got, everything that's within your soul. Search it all, and when you find a place that does not live and breathe for God's glory, take whatever that is, and transfer it over to him instead of you. It's a pretty tough task, isn't it? Incredibly difficult. And if that weren't enough, Jesus adds to it a second one. He says to him this, By the way, go and love your neighbor as yourself. Another way to say it would be to say, Show all people the same respect and care that you show yourself. Let me ask, how how much time do you spend taking care of yourself on a daily basis? I mean, just getting ready for today, I spent like a good 13 minutes. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) All right, 17. Think of all the time that you spend showering and shaving brushing your teeth, taking care of your hygiene, eating, going to doctor's appointments, driving yourself to places that you'd like to go, hanging around people that you prefer to hang out with, being entertained by movies and television and music. Think of all the time that you spend caring for yourself. Right? It's a lot of time. It's more than 13 minutes. A lot more. Jesus says that same amount of care that you've given yourself, give to other people. It doesn't mean that you go like should go and do their makeup. <laughs> but spend the same amount of effort that you spend for yourself on someone else. That's what it means to know and to love God. Because you can't do one without the other. If you say to, to God, I love you, I will do anything for you. And then somebody that you don't prefer to hang around comes around and you say, get out of my face, I'm worshiping God. Jesus says, man, we got a problem here. It doesn't work that way. The same respect that you show yourself, you need to show others. The same care, show others. And in doing so, you actually prove that you understand this relationship. The two are inextricably linked together, and Jesus meant it to be that way. And so these two things, these are the things that we were created for as human beings. Jesus says, you want to know what's most important? You take these two things, loving God and loving people, and you go all in for both. That's what it means. 
Don't let yourself be distracted by anything else. So, would anyone accuse us of that? Would anyone look at our lives or our church and say to themselves, look, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't believe in the God that they believe. I don't know if I know that this Jesus guy exists or that he's real or that he rose from the dead or anything that they believe theologically. But I know because I've been among them that they love God and they love people. I don't get it, but I know it. Jesus says that's how you know. That's how you know. It's a tough task, isn't it? Almost impossible, if not impossible. And you can tell that the guy that he's talking to, he gets it. He, he's tracking with Jesus at this point because he says this, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one. There is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I love Mark. He's awesome. (laughs) This is such great details. They are standing. Think about the situation. They're in Jerusalem. They are standing in the shadow of the temple. The temple represented the presence of God on earth. And if you wanted to get right with God, if you wanted to be cool with him, and you wanted to track with yourself, if you're trying to answer for yourself what's most important to your life, the answer of the day was to go to the temple and to give sacrifices. Go and and buy a sacrifice, have them sacrifice it for you, and then you know that you'll be cleansed and forgiven, and you'll be able to go on your way with a clean conscience. And Jesus is standing in the shadow of all that that represents. And he says, I'm going to give you a different way. I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I want you to love your neighbors yourself. What a challenge that is, right? To the very building and idea that he's standing in front of. He says this, loving God is far more important than performing any religious activity. Because you can perform those religious activities till the cows come home and your heart will never, ever be changed. You can continue to do the things that you think are right, thinking that they will purchase for you absolution. And at the end of the day, Jesus says, if your heart hasn't changed, it's meant nothing. Think of the implications as we sit here in a church. Coming to church every single Sunday giving an offering every single Sunday. And yet we leave, and if God has not changed us from the inside out, Jesus would say, we've missed the point. We've missed it entirely. It's a big challenge for us. It's not that we shouldn't stop coming to church or being part of a community or giving or anything like that. It means that all those things should be a reflection of what God is changing in us, and as God changes it in us, we change outwardly. Because if we try to do it the other way around, we've missed it. And our hearts will never change. And you know Jesus uh, knows that he is on to something because he responds, you're not far from the kingdom. 
You're getting it. So if we just ended there, it would be a a pretty good story, wouldn't it? I think it would be pretty good. But Mark, what he does is he includes for us a little bit more detail. And the chapter doesn't end there, right? It keeps going. And Mark includes for us an illustration of sorts. Because he wants us to get the point. And Jesus wants us to get the point. And so he includes a story to illustrate it. So if you go down to verse 41, this is what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All that she had to live on. How is it that she put in more than all the others? Because her sacrifice, her gift, her offering to God was total. You see how this illustrates what we just talked about? She is the embodiment of someone who gives everything. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything she got is embodied in these two small coins. And she walks across the room and she puts them into the offering. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Imagine... There are all these wealthy people. They're walking across the room with a big bag of money. They have stored up their savings probably for an entire year. And they are dragging this wad of cash across the room. And chink, you can hear it, lay heavy in the offering basket, right? You can almost feel the weight of it drop into the bowl. One after another, people give out of their wealth. Now imagine this woman. Poor beyond what you can imagine. She has absolutely nothing. She is a widow, and so she is husbandless. And because of that, she probably has very little ways to make an income in that society. She walks across the room with two copper coins. No bag of money, right? No outward wealth. She stands before the offering plate and she takes those two copper coins Sounds pretty hollow, doesn't it? Imagine the shame that she must have felt. All year, she had tried to make ends meet and came up empty every time. And yet, in her home, she knows she's got these two small coins. It's the only thing that she has in her possession. And she reaches underneath her mattress and she says, I'm going to give everything to my God. And I don't care what it looks like when I walk across the room. I don't care about the stares that people give or the snickering or the, mar- the remarks that they say underneath their breath. I am taking what I have and I am bringing it to my God 
to put into the offering plate. And I don't care how hollow it sounds, I am giving everything. I don't care how other people judge me, I'm, I'm giving it. And I'm going to do it in view of everyone. That's what it means to put in your all. That's what it means to go all in. Because instead of a huge stack of money, she's got two little coins and she's pressing those towards the center of the table. And from the outside looking in, you're thinking, well, it's good that she's decided to give, but I mean, for crying out loud, just keep the change. You know, they, they don't need it. Jesus says it's not like that at all. God will honor her sacrifice more than all the others. It's not that what the other people gave is bad. It's good. But what she gave is better because she gave everything she had. That's what it means to go all in. So let me ask, do you live like this woman? Do you say to yourself, look, I don't have much, but everything I've got is yours, God. And I don't care who sees it, I'm giving it. How many times do we hold back the things in our lives? It could be money, it could be our hearts, it could be our trust, it could be our time. We hold back those things with the, react, with the rationality that goes something like this. If I put it all in, then other people are going to see me put it all in, and when they see me put it all in, they're going to judge me for who I am. Right? Jesus said it's not like that at all. God honors that gift in an incredible way. So give it. And watch what God does with it. Watch how he makes an example of you in front of all other people, not of shame, but of grace. Because God can do it. How would life change if we took this seriously? If we got this into our minds and into our hearts, how would it change the way that we talk with one another? How would it change the way that we interact with the people in our life groups? Think about the implication for being in community with other people. Even those of us that are involved in community and give our time towards life groups, sometimes we give it, but we hold back the things that we know we need to share because we feel bad that someone else is going to judge us for sharing it. And so we hold it in rather than giving it. Because we think someone else is going to come and they're going to judge me. Or we don't share the great things that God is doing because we feel like it's going to shame someone else for their gift. And so we think, nah, I'll, I'll talk about it, but I'm not going to talk about it in a great way and I'm not going to give God all the glory because if I did, it would just look like I'm bragging. And God has really been good and I want to share it, but I can't because I don't want others to feel bad. Jesus is saying it doesn't matter how big your offering is. It doesn't matter how small it is. When you give all of it, God honors all of it. And he gets the glory from it. So give it all. Go all in. See what he does with it. Deep down, are you afraid of the sound of your meager offering hitting the bottom of the bowl? 
sometimes I know it can seem like others have contributed so much more than you ever could. But nobody has it figured out. And nobody is able to give a gift large enough to earn their own way. Here's the thing that we need to remember, that all of us are in need of grace. All of us fall short, and we know this in concept. We've probably read it in our Bibles, but we tend to forget it, which is why I'm reminding you about it this morning. You're welcome. (laughs) All of us are in need of God's grace. Because all of us are, look more like that woman than we do the rich people. We think we're given it. We think we've got it all together. We think others are going to look at us and smile. But when it comes down to it, God says, no, we all fall short. And by the way, that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And here's how we know we do. There's this weird story in the middle, right? And you're probably thinking to yourself, um... Pastor, you skipped a few verses there, right? You went down to verse 41, and there's this stuff in the middle, and it's really weird, and I don't understand it. So let me, let me share it with you. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, this happens right in the center of these two passages. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is a a quote of Psalm 110, verse 1. David himself calls him Lord. How then can can he be his son? The crowd listened to him with great delight. At first, this sounds like a little bit of like who's on first, you know? What in the world is he talking about? David's the Lord and the Son, the Son of the Lord. David says to my Lord, Lord, and let... It's just really confusing. What the heck is this all about? And at first, this whole riddle doesn't seem to fit at all with the rest of it. But here's my theory. This is what I want to convince you of. It actually gives the entire section its meaning. When we understand this section, we understand the whole piece. And it goes a little bit like this. Whoever is supposed to be this Messiah, and Israel at this point in time is expecting a Messiah to come. They're expecting somebody to come in and be a lineage of David, literally a son of David. Someone in his line is going to come along, they're going to rise up and take the throne, and they're going to lead Israel into a new beginning, a new day. They're expecting this person to come. And so Jesus plays on this, and he says that there is a son of David who is coming. And that title for that person is called the Christ or the Messiah. But he doesn't stop there. He says that this son of David is also David's Lord. How in the world can this be? Somebody who is a great, 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 great grandchild of David is also above David. How can that work out? I think what Jesus is doing, because... People know by this point in time, he's in, he's in Jerusalem. He's rode in on a donkey. They've all laid down their, their, their palms on Palm Sunday and have given glory to him and said, you are the new, what? 
Messiah. You are the Christ. They've identified him already as this person. And so Jesus is playing on this, and he's pulling back the curtain a little bit to show them exactly who this person is. He's saying, in essence, I am the Lord that this psalm speaks about. That's why they're so delighted when he starts talking about it. And yet, I want you to see this. Over and over again, throughout the book of Mark, what we've seen time and time again is that you would expect Jesus as a king to come in and to rule over people, right? That's what kings do. They use their power to ascend themselves into a high position to secure their power. Where is Jesus headed? Towards a cross. Towards death, towards torture, towards all these things. He is taking the opposite route of a king. The reason that this passage is here is because we are meant to see, maybe for the first time, that Jesus is the embodiment of what it means to give sacrificially of himself for another. He gave his life totally, right? So that we, through him, might find eternal life. Now let's go back to the story about the woman. Think of what she does. She comes and she gives her full offering. And though from the outside looking in, it looks like very, very little. And yet Jesus said it's that little offering that is pleasing in the sight of God. Correct? Think about Jesus now. He is moving towards the cross He is moving towards shame. He will, in less than a week, be crucified, hung on that cross, and people passing back and forth in Jerusalem will look at that cross and go, what a shame. The opportunity for such a great life, and it was stamped out. What a small offering. Yes? Jesus is the small offering that this woman puts into the plate. From the outside looking in, it looks like nothing at all. You think this would be king, this would be Messiah, he was stamped out too soon. What a shame, because things could have turned out better. And yet, if you know like Jesus does, the point of the story, you will look at that same offering and you will say, what a glorious, glorious gift of God. the king of heaven who reigns and rules over all creation, who literally spoke oceans and earth into being. He separated light from darkness. That God empties himself and submits himself to death, even death on an ugly cross. Why? For you. It was that offering which allows you to live a different life, correct? It's that offering, though it looks small, which gives everyone who professes, confesses in the name of Jesus, life eternal now and life eternal in the age to come. Yes? Jesus is that small offering, and sometimes we can see it as a very little offering, But in God's estimation, it is what was absolutely necessary to bring us to him. 
And it's this truth, and this is where it goes back to where we began with the greatest of all commandments. It is this truth that sets you and me free to love God with everything and to love others as ourselves. So it's taken us a little bit of time, but here is the big idea. We are only, only able to love God and to love others the way that we were intended to do so, the way that we were designed from the very beginning when we fully have worked the truth into our lives that Jesus went all in for you. Correct? When we understand that, when we get it, when we see it with new eyes, we're able to love others. Without a hint of selfishness or ambition or what they can give to us, we just love. Why? Because we know that we've been loved with this unending, undying, incredible love that we could never earn or gain ourselves. And when it permeates us, we just think, I, I have to pass it on. I have to love other people. I need to put them above myself. Why? Because Jesus put you above himself. And it's only then that we're able to give our true love to God. Yes? It spills out from us. There is no shame in it because we know that he, that he gave everything for us. And anything that we give in return is just a small fraction of what he's given. We go all in because he's gone all in for us. I hope that by now you're able to see that this theme has been coming up a lot, correct? Throughout the book of Mark, we've seen this same thing over and over and over again. And what Mark is trying to tell us is the same thing Jesus is, is that it works this way. I love you, I see you, I know you, and I love you for who you are. And when you realize that, when you get it, then you can love endlessly like I love. But it won't happen until you get it. It's that love that frees you to be honest about your own brokenness. It's that love that frees you to be able to confess sin to your life group and to ask for forgiveness and to authentically share life with others, not because you measure up, but because Jesus' offering was enough for you. There's a scene that happens in the movie Moneyball. Anybody see the Moneyball Um, with Brad Pitt? It's about a manager, a Major League Baseball manager by the name of Billy Bean, and he decides to adopt a system that's never been tried before in order to construct a better baseball team with less money. So there are other baseball teams that are throwing money after money uh, after all-stars and people. They're trying to, to, to find the best talent out there. And it was decided long ago that the best way that you find out people is by looking at certain stats. And this kid comes along, and he recognizes a new system, Billy does. And he says, this system which is based on a computer algorithm, actually discovers undervalued players and says, go after those people because if you construct a team out of that, you can construct a championship baseball team on much less money than every other team. And because they're a small market, they think we need to go after this. We need to do it this way because there's no other way. We can't compete with them any other way. 
And there comes a moment in time where that system is challenged and they need to make a choice. Are they going to go with their perennial all-star and submit to the system that everyone's always known or are they going to to trade away this perennial all-star that everyone loves and adores because they believe in the system? That's the question that they're asked. So I want you to see this clip. Pena is an all-star, okay? And if you dump him and this Hatterberg thing doesn't work out the way that we want it to, you know this is, this is the kind of decision that gets you fired. It is. Yes, you're right. I may lose my job. In which case, I'm a 44-year-old guy with a high school diploma and a daughter I'd like to be able to send to college. You're 25 years old with a degree from Yale and a pretty impressive apprenticeship. I don't think we're asking the right question. I think the question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? I do. It's based on that belief that they decide to trade away their perennial all-star and go with the system. And it turns out that they have an incredible winning streak because they decided to go with that system. More than anyone would have expected them to do, higher than anyone expected them to go, because outside looking in, they look like a terrible, terrible team. But inside that office, there is a belief which changes their actions, and that belief is in a system which they know in their hearts will work. So let me ask you the same question. Do you believe in this thing called Jesus? Do you believe in the fact that God's only Son came down to earth from heaven, lived a perfect life, died in our place for our sin, and then after three days rose again from the dead? Because if you believe in that system, it will change the way that you live your life forever. Right? Romans 8.32 puts it this way, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It starts with believing in the one whom God sent. When you get that reality, then everything changes, yes? Just a personal confession, and I'll end on this. The times in my life when this truth, this reality is in my mind and in my heart, when it is ever-present in my being, those also, coincidentally, right, happen to be the times when I grow most in my relationship with God. And those also happen to be the times when I am able to get outside of myself and my own ambition and give endlessly towards other people and their good. The times when I forget this truth and I think that it's all about me loving God, me doing for God, me pleasing God, me doing all this stuff for God. Those are the times when I get bitter. And those are the times when I start thinking about myself rather than other people. And I miss the point entirely. Jesus went all in for you. When you know that, you can go all in for him. It's a good truth today, isn't it? It's the one I hang my hat on. Let's pray.
God, we come before you today. And I know, just speaking to a group this size, that many of us have convinced ourselves or played the game where we try to measure up for you. And maybe we've heard and read stories like this one where Jesus asks us to love God with everything that's within us, to love our neighbors, ourselves. And rather than hearing grace in those words, we hear condemnation because we think, I'll never measure up. I'll never be able to give my all. And because of that, why should I even try? But God, we thank you that it's your truth that sets us free. And the truth is this, that you gave your only son for us. Literally, you went all in. And because of that, there is no shame. And no matter how small our offering is, you look on it with love because Jesus has given the greater offering. And that work is done for us. And help us to rest in that reality as we worship this morning. And I pray that it wouldn't leave us condemned or feeling shameful, but that it would really free us, Lord, to be able to understand what you're about. And then to go from this place and to love others as you love them. Not because we're trying to gain something from you, but because we know we have everything in you. Help that reality to permeate our lives today as we give our worship to you. In Christ's name.